Thanks for listening to the River in the Hills Weekly Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Good morning, everybody. had the opportunity to meet uh, the past pastor, uh, Glenn, and his wife and, and the staff as they came, they came down to Corpus Christi, I think, for a staff retreat, right? And uh, we had a chance to go to dinner with them and get acquainted with them, really enjoyed our time with them, and uh, very honored to be here. Thank you, Pastor Glenn. Thank you for extending the invitation to be here. And uh, it's just, a, again, a blessing and an honor. So I'm, we're so glad we've been through Austin, been to, in Austin. So glad you guys are in Austin. God needs churches like you in Austin. Amen. Amen. Now more than ever, right? And so, but if you don't know, uh, my name is uh, Mike Faylauer, my wife, Bonnie. We pastor a church called New Life Church in Corpus Christi, Texas. You all know where Corpus Christi is, right? Most everybody. And so we've been there. I've pastored that church for 11 years. Uh, We've been there 13 years, and we moved there in 2009. And uh, I'm going to share a little bit about just kind of what's been happening uh, there. Um, I know that uh, by the time that we met Pastor Glenn and 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 uh, the the staff, uh, a lot of them had already been somewhat familiar with with the church and with new life and and what's been uh, happening down there. And honestly, what I'd like to, what I, I'm really prayerfully hoping to do is is uh, my prayer is that there is some type of impartation that takes place this morning that somehow by God's grace I'm able to share and impart with you all here. Uh, what God has done and is doing in us and through us and in Corpus, um, and maybe to strengthen, I think, strengthen uh, what God is doing here, strengthen you as, as believers. Uh, but I also believe there's a challenge there for all of us um, that, uh, is, uh, that the Holy Spirit is giving His church. And so uh, let me just say that um, I know that Pastor Glenn had mentioned that during uh, 2020, uh, he began to listen, I think, or watch, or is that right? Carrie, Carrie Nichols, Carrie Nichols, whom we've known for 30 years. We've known Carrie, Gary and Keith. Of course, Keith is in heaven now, but we've known, knew them, have known them for 30 years. And uh, I was, I was only 12 back then. Carrie was. 15 or 20 something. No, I'm kidding. I'm older. But <laughs> so I think I guess Carrie shared some things and and uh, and I think just, you know, we all we all uh, uh, realize what we were facing and what we were dealing with as local churches and as the church, capital C, uh, during 2020. There was what I want to share with you briefly, though, is there were uh, some things that that the Lord began to do uh, in me and consequently and subsequently in us as a church back, uh, and well, start, it started back in 2018, but actually really started before that, started probably 2016, 2017. And so um, during that time, I really, I really had an impression, I really felt, 
I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know it was going to be a, a, uh, a, a thing with a virus. or I mean, I didn't know specifically. But back around 2016, I began to share, uh, almost to the point of annoyance, began to share with our pastoral team that I, I believed something was coming to the earth and coming to, uh, I, well, it wasn't just America. I just felt like something was coming to the earth, that there was going to be uh, some expression of evil that was going to be uh, uh, kind of unleashed on the earth and that we just weren't prepared for it as a church. I'm talking about us as a church, New Life Church. And um, I, again, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know the specifics, but I was drilling down on it pretty hard uh, almost every staff meeting it seemed like I was talking about this thing that I sensed was going to take place. And an increasing, uh, for me, an increasing dissatisfaction and frustration. Not frustration, maybe, but just a dissatisfaction and discontentment. And really a sense that we weren't, whatever it was that I felt like was going to happen, I felt like we weren't ready for that as a church. I felt like I wasn't ready, and I felt like we as a church weren't prepared. This is probably not the best illustration uh, to use to illustrate that, that point. It may not seem the most spiritual, but it kind of reminded me of uh, Rocky Three, when uh, Rocky was going to face Clubber Lane and Mickey's telling him, you've never fought an opponent like this before. He's, he'll kill you inside of three rounds, you know, it's just, you know, that whole thing. And, um, but that was kind of the picture that I had was like, as a church, we're not even prepared uh, for what we're going to be facing. And everything that we think or we have thought was made us effective and made us impacting and made us cool and all of that stuff was going to pale in comparison to this opponent that we were facing. And, and I, I felt like in many ways for myself as well as for us as a church that we needed to somehow prepare for that. And, and so that, that really, uh, that whole sense of urgency uh, really caused me to just begin to um, really press into the Lord and begin to, to seek the Lord. Many times after Bonnie would, would, go, to, would go to bed, I would, I, I would, just, I would be up late, and, and typically she goes to bed before I do, and, uh, and I would just pray. And, and there was one time where the Lord directed me to uh, uh, Jesus' message to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And, of course, being in the ministry for a lot of years, uh, being a pastor, having a degree in theology, all of that stuff. My point in all that in saying that is I'd read uh, those two chapters, I don't know how many times, a lot of times, right? I mean, just just a gazillion. I don't know, the gazillion's not, it's an exaggeration, but whatever that is, I don't know what a gazillion is. But it's a lot, and I've read it, I read them a lot. And I felt like the Lord directing me back to those two chapters, and I began to read those two chapters with fresh eyes, I felt like the Holy Spirit just very, very, I mean, it was just like he, I just knew that this was the voice of the Spirit speaking to me. And it was, there was obviously an aspect of encouragement, but it was very corrective. And so as I was reading through uh, those two chapters, um, I, I realized that this was, this is Jesus, who's the head of the church. He's the head, it's his church, right? It's his church. So it was like Jesus giving his church, not just those seven churches. This was captured by the Spirit for us to read. So it applies to us. It applies to his church globally. And so this was like Jesus giving his church a job performance review. 
That's really what it was. Y'all are doing this really good. I noticed this. You're not doing this well at all. Matter of fact, you need to stop doing this. Or you need to start doing this because you're not doing it. Y'all, I'm obviously broad stroking, but y'all get what I'm saying. And I'm looking at that and I'm reading through that and I'm realizing, man, there's a whole lot, there's a whole lot in the American church specifically that seems to be really important to us that obviously it doesn't seem to be that important to Jesus because he doesn't mention those things in chapter 2 and 3 in any of the messages, right? Like an attendance chart. Not one time did he pull out an attendance chart. When he, right? When he approached the churches and said, all right, you should be running way more than this. I don't know what, this is not good. I'm very concerned. I'm very troubled about this. I have this one thing against you. You should be running at least 20% more than when you are, right? And so, you know, so I, that's just using that as an example. A lot, in, uh, for one reason, that's in the American church how we usually, that's one of our primary metrics of success in the local church is that. But I began to notice that the very the things that became that were very important to us didn't seem to be important to him at all. And the things that were important to him, as far as the American church was concerned, didn't seem to be that important to us as the church. And, you know, there was only two of those churches he didn't correct out of the seven. The five, there were five that he did. And, you know, it, it, it talks about Jesus who walks. John has his vision of Jesus who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And the candlesticks represent the churches. And that word walk in the Greek is peripateo. And it means to walk around. But not just walk around. It means that it's, it describes somebody who's been walking around for a long time like this is their home. This is where they abide. And then the word midst means Guts. So it literally, in the Greek, it means in the very center of. I began to realize that even though Jesus never filled out a guest card, he had been to New Life, and he had walked up and down the aisles and in the classrooms, and he was watching what we were doing, paying attention to what we were preaching, watching how we were relating to each other, how we were relating to the world around us. And so he begins, to, he begins to address these seven churches. He, he, for example, he talks to the church at Ephesus, and he says, you guys, and the things that he listed are just phenomenal things. That you do, you're doing all these things really well. He says, but I have this one thing against you. And in the Greek, it, it actually reads, I have, it's like, a, it's like strike. It's like taking something and just striking it against the ground. And, and the way that Greek reads is he says, I have this one strike against you, and I'm taking it very personal. You've left your first love. And so they, had, they were doing church good. They were doing ministry great. But it, they were checking a box that the passion wasn't there like it used to be, right? And so he, he talks about, he uses the word remember how far you've fallen. And that Greek word, remember, that word is used most commonly to describe a tomb or a sepulcher. And so he was saying, you've allowed ministry and life and all that stuff to bury your love, your original passion that you had. So when he said, remember, he was saying, I need you to go back to that place and I need you to dig through all that stuff that's buried your first love and rediscover that again and go back and do the things you did at first, right? Does that make sense, everybody? And so because he said, if you don't, I'm going to remove your candlestick. 
Well, that's a big deal because he's the one that walks in the midst of the candlesticks. What was he saying? If you guys don't ace this, if you don't get this, if you don't repent, if you don't make the change, I know you're doing a lot of good things. You're, 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 you're exposing apostles who really aren't apostles. You're, you're, you're protecting the church against false teaching. You're patient. You're working hard. Matter of fact, he says you're laboring. That means laboring to the point of exhaustion. You're not lazy. You've got a phenomenal work ethic. You're doing all the, I mean, you're doing it all great. You're just working so hard, but you've lost your first love. If you don't find it again, I'm going to remove your candlestick. And what he meant by that was you may still go ahead and have church, but I'm not going to be there. Because he's the one that walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, right? So if the candlestick's not there, it's not there. And so he just, you know, so all through these different, uh, these different messages, you see what really matters to Jesus. You have Pergamus that it embraced, they embraced the doctrine of the world, the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Thyatira, who had become permissive about sexual immorality. Sardis, who was living in the past. At one time, they were a great church with a great reputation for great things, but something they'd gotten off track somehow, and they were still living on their reputation of the past, and their reputation was really too important to them. It was a big deal to them, Sardis. So all these different, all these different uh, messages that Jesus gave, and, and, and as, as, as I began to, to, to walk through this and, 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 and look at this and... Um, and each time of the seven messages, Jesus ended, uh, he ended each message with the same phrase for all seven. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So I knew that Jesus was still speaking to his church, capital C. We needed ears to be able to hear. Now, this is all pre-COVID. This is all, this is like in 2016, 2017. And so um, I knew that there needed to be an adjustment. There needed to be a change. There were things that were important to us as a church that apparently weren't that important to Jesus. And there were things that were really important to him that weren't important enough to us, that didn't matter enough to us. And so I internally began to make some, some changes. And, and, then I re, and then, of course, in, in the summer of 2018, um, I just was really dis just again, just discontent. We, we were growing. Um, and, uh, there, we didn't have any crises. There wasn't any drama. There wasn't any, any uh, catastrophic thing that was happening by all the normal metrics. We were succeeding. And, uh, um, but I realized that one of the things I realized is that, um, we were, this is again, pre COVID we're increasingly, uh, fi finding ourselves working in a field, pastoring a church in a post-Christian society. You know, we had churches that were the largest that America had ever seen. And some of those guys were are personal friends of mine, close friends of mine. The largest churches we, we, America has ever seen, ever. But people were attending them less often. And I'm thinking... Something's wrong with this picture. Yeah, we've got churches of 10, 15, 20,000 now. And that's not necessarily bad. But I'm like, but statistically, instead of going, instead of people attending church three times a month, they're attending church one and a half times a month. But 
we're bigger than we've ever been in America, but people are attending church less often. And I'm thinking, something's wrong with that picture. Then I'm looking at the moral climate of our society, and I'm realizing with this, all this that seems to be happening that seems to be so great and phenomenal and fantastic, we're not impacting society at all. It, it's, it's still unraveling pretty, this is all pre-COVID, right? And, and so anyway, we began to just set our, our hearts towards the Lord. And so, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a particular, there's one church that I think really typifies still the American church. And, and, and it, it certainly was applicable, I think, to, to a, a larger degree to us at New Life. And I know this one we're all very familiar with, the church at Laodicea, where Jesus said, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Um, we typically interpret that hot and cold, hot being good, cold being bad. That, that's not what he's saying. See, uh, Laodicea was one of the was the wealthiest city in that region. They had an auditorium that sat sixty thousand. They had uh, they had uh, four markets, outdoor markets, uh, with forty five hundred stores. They had, I mean, uh, they were a very very wealthy city, and the church there uh, was was you know had had at one time really been you know really been powerful. Um, just uh, a, a, a few miles from Laodicea was the town Colossae, and they were known for uh, these freezing cold, refreshing waters. And then I think to the southwest was Heropolis, and they were known for their hot springs. Matter of fact, uh, historians tell us that Mark Anthony and Cleopatra would go there. And so it was famous for their hot springs. That was healing and all that. So the, the people of Laodicea, the city, had this idea that let's build some kind of an aqueduct system where we can bring the cool waters from Colossae and the hot spring waters from Heropolis to Laodicea. It'd be great. What they didn't factor in is that by the time the waters got there, they weren't hot or cold. They were lukewarm. And not only that, but they used clay as the conduit. So not only was it lukewarm, but it tasted horrible. It was putrid. So, they, so the city, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the city of Laodicea. There's this great anticipation of this cool, cold, freezing water and the hot springs of Heropolis. This is going to be awesome. And by the time they got there, they, they go to, to, to touch the water or to drink the water, if it was the cool water, and it was lukewarm. And it was putrid, so they're spitting it out of their mouths. Some becoming nauseated and throwing up. This is historically what happened in Laodicea. So when Jesus approached the church, the pastor of the church, and said, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. You're lukewarm, and because you are, I'll spit you out of my mouth. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Jesus was referring to what had happened. They knew exactly what he was talking about. But he wasn't saying hot is good and cold is bad. That's why he said, I'd rather you be one or the other. What he was saying is, is you've become lukewarm. You've lost your distinctiveness. You're indistinguishable. You look exactly like the world. We can't, I can't tell you apart from the rest of, of, of the world or the culture there. You've completely blended in. You're master, it's a master of disguise. Nobody even knows who you are or what you're about. There's nothing that separates you or causes you to stand out from the world. 
And it's putrid to me. Does that make sense, everybody? And he uses the word remember again, which is, again, that word, that Greek word is associated to a tomb. You've allowed all this stuff to bury something that you need to rediscover. And so this idea of, this idea of being, <laughs> of not being able to identify, we really, I think, the, the church as a whole, or a certain segment of the church in America, actually the, the, the segment that was of churches that were growing the fastest numerically, this was a model. This was a model. And this was, for us at New Life, this was a model that we had as well. We would be considered an attractional church model or more of a seeker-sensitive church model, which, which actually, you know, the, the hope is, well, we'll bring them in and then we'll do the bait and switch and we'll bring them to the Lord. But it causes us to be completely indistinguishable, unrecognizable. There's no distinction to who we are. And, and, and that, I think, has been, you know, uh, almost a badge of honor. And I think we've also seen it through 2020 when, when hell was unleashed on a whole other level in, on, on various, in various ways, and nobody was saying anything. Of course it made sense for churches to look like ICUs when they started meeting again. Of course that made sense. Because that's what called, that was the message of culture. This is what you do. We're going to meet again, but we're going to have hazmat suits on while we're doing it. We're going to have non-contact services. We're going to try to meet together but stay away from each other at the same time. That was the message of the world, you guys. And it was a lie. It was absolutely a lie. It unleashed a whole nother level of hell. I remember in, in March, like two days after it started, I turned to Bonnie and I said, hell's been unleashed in this nation. I said, this thing, yes, the virus is real, but the narrative is a lie. This is not even about Trump. This is the spirit of Antichrist. This is two kingdoms clashing right now, and the church has lost her voice because she has gotten so, she's become such an expert at blending in. And God forbid we say something that is contrary. And so I got frustrated too because we weren't hearing anything. I'm looking for the churches that, that, and the leaders that were the voice for, for so many. And everybody, it seemed like everybody lost their voice. And when they found their voice, it was over the wrong issues. It was, had nothing to do with what was really happening. <laughs> and so... And, and so I was, So what happened with us in 2018 is before any of this took place, um, we, we just, I think what happened in 18 help us, helped us realize and prepare us for 2020. It really did. You know, the first century church, they did not care one iota what the world thought of them, what Rome thought of them, what the religious system thought of them. They did not, it was not a part of their metrics of success if they were liked. Now, they weren't trying to be hated. 
they were just preaching a gospel. So they weren't being knuckleheads. They weren't just trying to pick a fight. They were just preaching the gospel. But I'm telling you, I cannot in my wildest imagination picture the first century leaders ever saying these words, I'm an abundance of safety. Because it was never safe to gather. You realize that. It was never safe to gather. It wasn't safe to get baptized. That They were looking for converts. That guy got baptized, we'll kill him. They were showing up to church every day, and hundreds would not be there that were there the day before or the week before because they'd been martyred. It was never safe to gather, ever. And they, ne- they didn't. Ne- none of them ever cared about what anybody had to say about any- the world culture. None of that. None of that even mattered to them. That's not how their reputation didn't matter to them. Here's how simple the reputation was for the early church: their message matched their lifestyle, matched their message. That was it. I can't control what somebody says about me or thinks about me. And people were people were tagging us, and uh, they were uh, they were tagging. Uh, um, the news media and the city, uh, when we were meeting in 2020, they were tagging us, trying to get them to do a story, trying to, these guys are super spreaders, New Life Church, you need to shut them down. And I didn't lose a wink of sleep over that. I'm not here to, to try to, that doesn't matter to me. I, I had a pastor, well-known pastor, just give me a hard time. I love him, he's a good man. But he heard some of my, my messages, and he says, man, I, and he read my book. He read this book right here, and he didn't like it. He said, you're shouting at the darkness. I said, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying, I'm giving some, something, I'm saying something that people can respond to. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. They can't hear if you're not saying anything. Romans 10 says they can only repent if the gospel is being preached, not if we're being silent. Well, you're alienating. He's. I'm not going to alienate the people we're trying to reach. I says you, you're mistaken. You think they're your friends. You think they're impressed with your compliance. You think being lukewarm is going to somehow. Oh, we need this Jesus. This feels just like a tempered cup of coffee. Oh, that that's going to make us run to the cross like crazy. No. That the problem is, is we haven't said it. We're not saying anything. So here's, here's what, what, how it started for us. And I'll just I'll, I'll try to close out here. Um, but here's the first thing that we discovered in, in, this, in, in 2018. Uh, you know, uh, with the church of Laodicea, one of the things that Jesus said is he, so, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Remember that? We usually think of that in terms of a salvation message, and it's perfectly fine to apply it to that. Um, but that, but, but he's actually talking to the church at Laodicea, and he's saying, you guys, have, you've blocked me out. I, you're not giving me any room. I don't even have any room to shimmy in there. I, I can't get in there. That's what he was saying. I stand at the door and knock. Uh, the word behold, that Greek word means to be shocked or amazed. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm shocked that I'm on the outside trying to get in. I mean, I'm shocked that I even have to knock at the door. I just need, you just got to give me some, would you please just give me some room? Would you just open the door? And we realized that, that 
uh, much of what we felt was so important that would make us effective as a church was narrowing the bandwidth of the activity of the Holy Spirit. We weren't giving him any room. And so we discovered that he only fills the room you give him. That He will fill up the space or room you give him, but we discovered that's the only room he'll fill, whether it's a church or our personal lives, right? And so we just began to give him room. We began to open the door. We began to give him that space. And we discovered that the moment we gave him that space, amazingly, we didn't have to coax him or entreat him. He rushed in. The other, and a part of that that, we, that that I was shocked by was the hunger of our people. See, we did the obligatory first Wednesday. That's what churches like ours did. The seeker-sensitive kind of attractional church model. There's always the more hungry people. We want Wednesday night. We're like, we don't want to do Wednesday night. We got life groups. And, you know. Well, we'll give them one Wednesday a month. First Wednesday of the month. First Wednesday of the month. That's a little obligatory. We'll give you a, we'll throw them a bone. First Wednesday. Right? And, and we'd have, and I think at that time we were running maybe around a couple of thousand or something, right? So close to that at that time. And I'm only using, I'm only saying that to say there was maybe 200 adults would show up for those first Wednesdays. And when the Lord finally got a hold of me and I went through some, my own personal, uh, um, repentance, I just said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to have, uh, we're going to do four Wednesday nights in this July this is in 2018. We're going to do four in a row. So that was not normal, right? Because it's usually first one. We're going to do four in a row. And I don't know what we're going to do. The worship team's going to, we're going to do worship. We're going to worship the Lord. I have a few things I'm going to share, but I'm not really sure beyond that. We're just, and that's when the first time I said, we're just going to give God some room. We're just going to give him some space. We're just going to see what God has in store. And I didn't hype it up. I just really just kind of announced it just like I told you. Isn't that true, Bonnie? Not much more exuberant than that. It's, you know, hey, I know a lot of people are traveling. It's summer. If you, 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 I know if you're out of town, you can't make it. I get it. You're on vacation. But if you're here, we'd love to have you. That's literally how I announced it. It was about as un, uh, yeah, as hypey as you could get. And we showed up that first Wednesday, and over 600 people were there. And I'm like, okay, well, something's up. And then the worship team hit another gear that I hadn't seen. I'm like, okay, well, something's up. And so I shared a little bit about how God has moved on the earth. Really, I was sharing about the history of revivals, but I wasn't calling, using the word revival. I was just sharing uh, God's history with man. And then, at, and then the worship team came back uh, to close out with a song, and I was going to close out in prayer. And as I was praying, I felt like the Holy Spirit say, give an altar call for salvation, super specific for salvation, because everybody was standing at the time because we were closing out. And he says, but have them come to the front. Well, that wasn't our culture. We didn't do that. You closed your eyes and raised your hand. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's what we did previously. Close your eyes, raise your hand, and then I would see, and then we'd pray, and then everybody would pray a general prayer. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's what we did. That was our culture. That's what everybody was used to. That's just what we did. So when the Lord said, have an altar call specific, but call him to the front like a Billy Graham crusade, you know, call him to the front. I'm ping-ponging in my head. Well, that's not who we are. That's not our culture. That's not what we do. It's not what we do. We don't do that. You know, I'm having this mental back, right? And, and so I didn't do it. Yeah, I didn't do it. I know you were thinking I was going to say I did it, but I didn't do it. 
Everybody, when I tell this story, they have the same reaction. Oh, really? That was horrible. But it, it was. It was horrible. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But I, I was so convicted by the time the service was over. I was so convicted. I made a beeline into the atrium, and some of the pastors were there. And I just started telling them what the Lord said to me. And then I told them, I, I'm repenting to you. I've repented to the Lord. I'm repenting to you. Uh, I should have done this. I didn't do this. And I just felt, I felt like I felt so low I could play handball against a curb. I just felt really horrible. And I went home, prayed, oh, God, please give me another chance. Don't let, the, don't let your hand lift off my life, you know. Uh, no Ichabod, please. Uh, I, was felt, I felt horrible, you know. And, and then so the next Wednesday night, there was even more people there. And, and so, so after that, I, that second service, I knew better. And we had an invitation, and hundreds came. And then uh, it just kind of, just the floodgates opened up for us. And all of a sudden, we became a different church. And so we went several Wednesdays. Uh, we had so many get saved, we thought, well, let's do some baptisms. We had 24 baptisms that, that particular Wednesday night. Then the following Thursday morning, we met with the staff for two hours, and that was another really just a Holy Spirit encounter with the whole staff. Then right after that, we were like, we need to do Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday. And so Bonnie and I got online on Facebook on Thursday afternoon and said, hey, if you guys can make it, we'd love to have you. We're going to do this. Uh, and, and we did that week. We did Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The following week, we did Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then after that, we went back to every Wednesday. School was back in. But, but that first week where we did that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, on that Thursday, I preached on uh, uh, about. I preached a 13-minute message, gave an invitation, and I don't know how many there were. They said there was like 250 or so. I didn't see this, but the staff said people were running to the altar. It was a 13-minute message. We baptized spontaneously 31 people that that night. So that continued in 2018. That has continued to today. So uh, this is four years later. This probably around 3,000 or so that have been baptized. Most of those are spontaneous. We've built changing rooms in the back. It happens on Sundays. It happens on our Heaven Come services on Wednesday night. It happens during the week now. I'll talk about that in a minute. But we began to see just God pour out in an incredible way. Miracles, healings, just supernatural stuff. Um, and it, it fundamentally changed us. What I underestimated was the hunger of God's people. I'm convinced that people are hungrier than most of us, that most of us as pastors realize. Because when every time there's a revival of evil, there's always a revival of God's act, of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Always corresponding. It's always corresponding. Right? So when there's a revival of evil, you can expect, if you'll give him room, an increased activity of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's just what we've, we've been seeing. So the, the first thing I was going to say is just we, we began to give him room. We opened the door. The second thing that we did is we committed ourselves to just simply obey. That whatever the Lord was telling us to do, that we would obey. That we would just obey. If he's telling you to kneel, kneel. If he's telling you to get baptized, get baptized. If he's telling you to come to the front, come to the front. But don't hesitate. Don't talk yourself out of it, don't, you know, don't dialogue internally, just obey, just simply obey, quickly and immediately obey, amen? 
You know, Jesus said in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure hidden in the field. And he goes and he sells everything he has and buys the entire field. He doesn't just buy the treasure and he doesn't just buy the patch of dirt that he, find, that he found the treasure in. Jesus says he buys the entire field. We're wanting, we're wanting the fullness of God, but we're not willing to give him all that we are. But we want all of him, right? Is that you see what I'm saying? And then the other thing was is just we 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 cried out for a fresh baptism of fire and power. Um, in Acts chapter four, they Peter and, and and John had been threatened, and they went to the church, and it says, "Now the Lord." Now they prayed this. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So he says, you, you, you see their threats. You know the threats that we're facing right now. And folks, we're not facing the same threats that they were, but I'll, let me tell you the threat we are facing that's pr- predominant to me is, is, is the, the threat of silence. Sit down. Shut up. Don't you tell me there's only two genders. Sit down and shut up. And this pastor that called me, he was upset because he heard a, he heard a clip that I, I preached where I said, there's only two genders, male and female he created. There's only two. And if you don't want to believe the Bible, here's what I said. There's an anatomy book. Oh, that goes there. He didn't like that sarcastic, that goes there. You know what I'm referring to. It's that simple. Sit down, shut up, you're going to offend them. I'm really not concerned about that. Because I believe that they can only respond to truth. They can only respond to the voice of God. And we're his voice. And either we're carrying his message or the world's message. But there's no in-between. Even by being silent, we're carrying his message. Does, that, does this make sense? And so, and so it says, you, you see the threat we're facing. So he says, grant your servants boldness. Boldness. That word boldness is the Greek word parisia. And it means, it, means the, it means unreservedness of speech. That's what that word means. Boldness means freedom of speech. It literally means the refusal to be silent. It's the same word in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verse 6 in the New Living Translation where it says we are part of God's house if we don't lose our courage. That word courage is the same Greek word, parisia. It means if we'll refuse to be silent, we are his house. When they were faced with the threats of the world and this two, these, these two kingdoms were clashing, the early church wasn't trying to figure out a way to, to meet in the middle. They cried out to God and they said, grant your servants boldness. Help us not to be silent. Give us the courage to refuse to be silent. But if we speak out, we need you to back our play. We can't go out there and preach without you confirming the message with signs and wonders and the supernatural. So that's what they prayed. And then the Bible says they received another infilling. And that's what the church needs again is another infilling. The whole place was, the whole building shook, right? But it was boldness. And one of the things that we've been seeing in the last four years is we've seen a a baptism of the Holy Spirit 
uh, particularly among our young people, our high schoolers, our middle schoolers, our, our college students. And yes, they're praying in tongues, and yes, they're moving in the gifts of the Spirit, but predominantly what's happening is there's boldness. So after four years, instead of this thing fading and getting weaker, it's gotten stronger. 2018, 2019, we continued to see God move in a powerful way. 2020, we still baptized over 300 people in 2020 during COVID. We did 40 days of ministry in, in when was it? In August and September of 2020. The peak. We met every day, every night. And we, we, we increased in our volunteers. We saw people get saved. We saw people get healed. We saw people get baptized. It literally strengthened us. And, and, and then in, in, uh, and in uh, 2021, uh, we saw the Holy Spirit continue to increase and, and, and strengthen us. And, of course, this year uh, we hit this other gear where just this, this baptism of fire and of power was, was, was resulting in just boldness. So from January leading up to Easter, we suspended almost all of our ministries and we consecrated ourselves as a church. And we met every Wednesday. We had prayer meetings going on. And all of a sudden, we began to see this fresh outpouring like Acts 4, another outpouring. You do realize that these people were there in Acts 2, right? The ones that were there in Acts 4. We, we can't say, oh, I already had it. I'm not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and praying and speaking in tongues. I'm talking about the baptism of his power, that we need a fresh infilling all the time, right? And so we, we saw this happening. And so in our, our college students, in, in, uh, in, in uh, I think it was January, February, we had an outpouring at Texas A&M University. 200 uh, young adults showed up at the, the free speech plaza there. On a, on a two nights, uh, and for two nights, and just preached, shared testimonies, and and they had, uh, and there was a fountain there, that was uh, fountains dedicated to a doctor there from Corpus Christi, Hector P. Garcia, and it's called the Hector P. Garcia Fountain. They were in 53 degree weather. They were baptizing kids yeah. in that fountain, and so there were 28 kids that were baptized. I don't know. Do we have the pictures of that or? Uh, we had, I think there were 28 young adults that were baptized. They were preaching. Look, she's got a jacket on. That's because it was cold. That water was freezing. Uh, I think there's some other pictures too, guys. And so I was there for, that, for those two nights. I was there, but I didn't, I literally had nothing. I mean, I was just there, just as the dad. I was, you know, the spiritual dad. I was just there in the background. These guys were praying for the sick. They were sharing testimonies. They were preaching five-minute sermons. There's one of our spiritual daughters there, little Olive. Uh, um, she was, uh, God got her, uh, go back to her. She, she got saved at New Life. Most of these guys that are preaching got saved at New Life, guys and gals. And she was, uh, she was, uh, she was living a lesbian lifestyle. And she came to New Life and gave her life to the Lord and got radically delivered and set free. Now she's married and she's having a, getting ready to have a baby. Yeah. And so we saw a man who had six months to live. Uh, he had liver cancer, stage four. Doctor comes in, get your affairs order in order. You're going to die in six months. And he walked out 
And just as the doctor walked out, this guy's sitting there, and he hears from one of our church members. She texts him. She texted him. She hadn't talked to him or communicated with him for months, probably over a year. They used to work together. They didn't work in the same place. The Lord put it on her heart. Text Randy and invite him to heaven come. She texted Randy. He says, I can't believe this. I just got this report. I'm sitting in the doctor's office. He's telling me I'm going to die in six months. She says, come to heaven come service tonight. He says, I will. He came to the heaven come service. God healed him. He went back, had exploratory surgery two days later. He spent like three or four hours under as the doctors went through everything. He came out. The doctor said, I don't know how to explain it, but you're absolutely healed. There's no cancer. We had a lady with hearing aids. She didn't use her hearing aids anymore. She wore glasses. She doesn't need glasses anymore. So we began to see all of these things begin to happen, begin to pour out. But in 2022, there was a, this baptism of power, of fire, and this boldness, listen, to preach the gospel. The, thing, the phrase that came up in my heart was create your own pulpit. Create your own pulpit. I like this. It's a very manly pulpit. I like this. Create your own pulpit. What do I mean by that? Create the place where God's voice can be heard. Don't wait for a pastor to give you a pulpit. Don't wait for somebody to invite you to speak. Create your own pulpit because it's out there every day, everywhere you go. Create your own pulpit. People are starving. I'm telling you, they are starving. The insanity, the lunacy, the demonic thing that's going, the stuff that's going on in our world right now, it's creating a greater hunger in people for the truth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? These pastors, they, well, you know, how do we, how do you, here's what you need to do. You just need to sit and listen to them. Hear their story. My God, I don't need to hear their story. I need to talk. They need to listen. Where in the heck, where in the world in the scriptures do you have the, 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 the Jesus say, just listen to them. Let them pour their heart out to you. No, he says, go and preach. If they don't accept it, wipe the dust off your feet. Go to the next city. But preach. Why? Because they can only respond to what they're hearing. And there's, there's pulpits out here all every day. There's pulpits out here for you. And so these college students, what happened in that, that, that situation is a guy, a street, kind of a street preacher guy that would go to A&M every year, he got up there and he was preaching, but he was, he was kind of being mean about it, and that's fine, but, but people were, uh, but students, A&M students that weren't saved, they began to, to say all kinds of vile things, and they weren't even saying things about the preacher. They were talking about sexually vile things in regards to Jesus. And some of our, some of our uh, students were there. Some of our A&M, our young adults were there. And they were just like almost traumatized. And a couple of the young adult leaders said, you know what, let's go, let's go there tonight. And the very place where, his, where Jesus' name was defamed, let's lift his name up. And then let's not just worship, let's preach. And so that's what they did. And it just, it, 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 it's amazing what happened. And so you, that happened in, in like February, I think, at A&M. And then all of a sudden, these life groups that they were having, instead of chips and salsa, they were gathering and they were saying, invite your friends. We're going to pray for the sick. We're going to share testimonies. We're going to preach. And so they started doing that. And kids started showing up and getting saved. Now it's not unusual for me to get a text 
at 9 o'clock at night saying, hey, PM, that's what they call me, PM. We're headed to the church. We're going to baptize four people that just got saved. It happened last Thursday. It happened to, It happens every week, not just Sundays, not just heaven come services, but throughout the week. A, a, a couple of gals worked at a, a, a gym, and, and so they asked the gym owner, can we have, will you let us have uh, an hour where we can have people come who aren't going to pay and, and, and um, we just want to do a workout, but then we want to, we want to share the gospel with them. And the gym owner's like, I don't know what that means, but that's fine. You can do that. So they started doing that and people started getting saved. I'm talking about adults, not the young adults, people that were showing up for their workouts. These little gals are just preaching their heart out at the end of the workout. They're all sweating. All right, let me tell you about Jesus. And they start preaching and they say, you need to give your life right. And they're having altar calls right there. Then they're running over to the church and baptizing them. And so then the gym owner says, we don't, we don't want you to do that anymore. And they said, okay. So they started their own gym. They started their own gym. They have their own building. The place is packed. And they're just preaching and leading people to Jesus. All of a sudden, the, the Holy Spirit began to pour himself out even on a greater level in this year, at the beginning of this year. Began to not only hit our young adults, but our high schoolers and our middle schoolers. And our youth nights were just like heaven come services, altar, ministry time, baptism, salvations, deliverance. It's just powerful, right? And then, and, then, and then all of a sudden, we had a couple in the church that said, we want to pray every Wednesday morning over a different school. So we started meeting, praying over the schools. And then what happened when that started happening, right after that, our youth pastor gave the challenge to the youth one night, one Sunday night, and he said, you know, we need to have some Bible clubs in the schools. I want to challenge you to start a Bible club in your school because these kids are getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're preaching, and they're sharing their testimonies, and it's powerful. You're like, oh, my goodness, little 12-year-old girls preaching, and you're like, what in the world? I've never, you've got to be, how old is she? What in the world? That's the Holy Spirit, and so he challenged them, and so within two weeks, there were 14 Bible clubs in 14 different high schools and junior highs. Some of those Bible clubs have 50 kids showing up, and they're not just playing patty cake. These kids are preaching to their peers, so they're showing up 50, 60, and they're preaching five-minute sermons. They're preaching about getting filled with the Spirit. They're preaching about giving their lives to Jesus, and kids are getting saved. Now we have six Bible clubs starting in six, ele in six elementary schools. Teachers are showing up to the Bible clubs. Not to criticize, but to receive. We were praying in front of one middle school, and I, I went to the, the high school, then I left, went home, and, and Bonnie and the others went to the middle school, and all of a sudden my phone starts blowing up, they let out, they announced to the kids in the middle school, hey, they're praying out there if you want to go out there. 200 kids poured out. So our youth pastor's wife started preaching to him. If you need to give Jesus, if you, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you need to give. And she starts preaching this little demure, soft, tight, little tiny voice. Her name's Paige. She's married to Mario, our youth pastor. But she's just this little, little Paige, just little Paige. Little, she's just this demure. But she's preaching. And all of a sudden, I got pictures. All of a sudden, these kids start getting saved. Look at this. 
That's Timothy, one of our youth guys, leading all those kids to the Lord. And it, 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 it was just amazing how that's, con- that, how that's continued to happen and, and, and how that's spreading. And, and, and there's a few churches that are getting involved as well, some other youth pastors getting involved as well. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that uh, there's nothing stopping us but us. Jesus said the harvest is ripe. The fields are ripe. He says, don't pray for ripe fields. They're ripe. Pray for laborers to harvest. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is massively active. There is the beginnings of a third great awakening, and that's going to happen. The question is, are you and I going to be a part of it? Because it's going to happen, whether we're part of it or not, because he'll always have a remnant. Amen? It's going to happen. I just want to make sure we're a part of it, that we're in it somehow, some way, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. But I'm telling you, folks, we need to be willing to lift up our voice, to create our own pulpit. And for some of us, it may just start with crying out for a fresh baptism. We fundamentally changed as a church where people began to encounter the presence of God in our services, all of our services. And it's been beautiful. But it, it would not be beautiful if, if that was the end of it. That, you know what I'm saying? It, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, God, we can't just, this is great. I'm loving this. People are experiencing, Lord, people are getting healed. They're, they're, they're encountering your presence. This is phenomenal. This is incredible. But it can't just stop here. We got to get up off our knees and we got to walk out of this building and something needs to happen. Amen. I mean, we've got something has to happen. And so I, I just told the, the, the young adult guys, I said, talk to all your life group leaders. And they already, I already know they have permission because out of well, almost 3,000, uh, probably around 3,000 people have been baptized in four years. Bonnie and I have baptized maybe five. And other than me preaching at times, I'm not praying for the sick much, hardly at all. This is people praying for people, the body, ministering to the body, uh, young men and women preaching the gospel out there. And, 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 and so just giving them permission, though, it's just like another, uh, right, Lord, I said, guys, just let them know. I know they know they have permission, but just make it even more official. You've, they've got permission. Create your own pulpit in a coffee shop, at work, at lunch, after class, in between classes, at the grocery store, picking the kids up from school. Recognize the pulpits that are there. Create a place where God's voice, amen, can be heard. Because I'm telling you, they'll respond. Not all of them, but so many will. Amen, they will. You won't be able to keep them. I mean, I was at our other campus. No, I, I, I didn't go there that, that Sunday, but one of the gals was at our house. She said, we filled up two rows at the South Campus, which is one of our other campuses. We filled up two rows. The fitness gals, we filled up two rows. Her dad got saved and baptized, but they filled up two rows. I'm telling you, people are hungry. They need us. To be his, God needs us to be his hands and his feet and his voice. 
Amen. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that gives us the permission to color outside the lines. Right? Because the enemy will try to get us to color in the lines. Here's, he wants us to play on his court according to his rules, thinking and trying to convince us that we're going to win. That's what all, miracles were compassion of Jesus, but it was also Jesus' way of telling the devil, I'm not playing your game, I'm not playing on your court, and I'm certainly not playing by your rules. And the devil's like, oh, really? He said, yeah, watch. Blind eyes open, dead gets raised. See, I'm playing by different rules, devil. Your rules are sickness leads to death, death leads to hell. I'm playing by a whole other set of rules. Life swallows up death, Amen. Uh, healing swallows up sickness. So, so the Holy Spirit is the only one that, he's the only one that gives us permission to color outside the lines. We just have to be willing to do that. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Uh, if the worship team could come. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hand the mic over to, to, I guess it's Nate, to Nate right now. And I want you to just lead us however you want to. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.